0: Helping business leaders grow themselves,
1: their team,
2: and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Music City, this is the podcast of leaders, by leaders, and for leaders. Thank you so much for downloading us. Our feature conversation this episode is with Scott Harrison. Scott's the founder and CEO of Charity Water. If you've never heard of Scott, you're going to thank me for this conversation that's coming up. And then we actually go into the Dave Ramsey Show. One of my favorite things to bring to you are calls, real-life calls from men and women business leaders to the Dave Ramsey Show. Every month or so, Dave will have a Entree Leadership business-themed hour. The phone call's all about leading and winning in business. And so we have a couple of calls that are going to help you. So that's what's coming up to you this episode. You know, folks, it is uh, amazingly the last week of September. As this is downloaded, for those of you that are catching up, obviously this is a different time on your calendar. But for those of you who are current downloaders, here we are at the end of September. It's hard to believe. Summer is like gone. Can't even see it in the rearview mirror. It's unbelievable. But one of the good things about summer being gone is that the fall is here. It's a great season here in the southeast, and it means football for most of the country. In fact, if you're not excited about football, Well, you're just peculiar, and that's fine. There's a lot of us out there. Some of you just don't like football. But my goodness, I love football. And had a thought on the weekend watching football. My wife was at an event, so I'm at home with the three kids watching football. And we had our various sporting programs for the kids in the morning. So it's early afternoon, kids have had lunch, and I'm settled in to watch my favorite football team, the Michigan Wolverines, play. Their first home game under Jim Harbaugh, and I'm watching the game, and because I've got three kids, nine, seven, and six, they're in and out of the house all the time with needs, and there were multiple times during the game that I had to press pause and deal with things. I got to thinking about the uh, movie Click with Adam Sandler. The concept was he had this magic remote control, and at any point in his life, he could just hit pause. And I started thinking about this during the game, because I'm a little irritated that I can't sit there and watch my game. But I got to thinking, it's the way my brain works, and I got to think, you know, how many times in life do we need to just pause? Because what I was doing was, as I was pausing the game to handle more important things. The things that the kids needed from me were more important than the game. Fortunately, I had recorded it, and I could hit pause. In the Adam Sandler movie, he could pause at any time in his life. We can't do that, but what we can do is realize that the game of life sometimes gets so fast and furious, and we get so focused on the game, right? The career, the achievements, the stuff, and we forget that there are more important things like our health, our relationships, personal growth. And so where do you need to hit pause? Just a fun little analogy, and I think a necessary thought. So where do you need to press pause in your life right now? And make sure that you're pressing pause on purpose. That's the takeaway. Press pause, get out of the game of life, if you will, and focus on what really matters. It's a good thought and it ties into Scott Harrison, our future conversation. I've known Scott for a decade. Scott's one of the most impressive entrepreneurs I know. Now he's in the social entrepreneur space, and I think it's important from time to time that we give you that perspective. And Scott is a guy who you're going to hear in his story had to press pause. His life was spinning out of control. He pressed pause, and in doing so, found his purpose. Charity Water is one of the fastest growing charities in America. They've raised $180 million from 1 million generous donors. Now, those are impressive pieces of data. They've funded 17,000 water projects for 5.5 million people in 24 countries. Scott was named to Fortune's 40 Under 40 list, the Forbes Impact 30, and was a fast company, 10 most creative people in business. This is a guy who understands what it takes to start, sustain, Keep on growing. You're going to love this conversation. Here it is, my talk with Scott Harrison. Well, Scott, it's uh, been a pleasure to be a friend of yours for several years and watch what is happening with Charity Water. But to our audience, since it's your first time on our show, I'd love for you to just describe what is Charity Water and how it works.
3: Sure. So we're a nonprofit uh, based here in New York City uh, that is bringing clean and safe drinking water to people around the world. Uh, And at the same time, we're really trying to reinvent charity, reinvent the way people think about giving and uh, their experience of giving. And here's what I love, and I
2: want folks to hear this very clearly. You have a 100% model, essentially, that you say and guarantee, and by the way, he is audited regularly on this, they really do live what they believe, but you say 100% of public donations go to funding the clean water, which means you fund the business side of your team through other ways. Describe how that works.
3: Yeah, when I, when I started this, this org, I was 30 years old, and as I was talking to my friends, I realized that there was this huge disenchantment with giving to charity, and the, the most common objection I would hear is, I just don't know where my money goes. You know, charities are black holes. So few of the dollars actually reach the people, you know, at the end of the line. And I thought that this was a huge opportunity to reach a disenchanted group of people uh, through a new business model. Um, It would be incredibly difficult. But if we could promise that every single penny, 100% of the money, would always go to directly fund water projects, um, they wouldn't be able to use that excuse. So, you know, I opened up two bank accounts with $100 each uh, almost nine years ago and, and made that promise that we'd never touch the public's money. So, it's been incredibly difficult actually, uh, and, and I, I almost don't recommend the model for others. We've had to grow this group of people who actually get excited about funding the overhead costs. Mm. Um, so, the way it currently looks is there are 104 visionary families and uh, people, business leaders, entrepreneurs, even faith leaders, um, that pay for the, the staff, the overhead costs, the flights to the field, you know, the paper clips, and phone bills so that about a million donors have been able to give in a completely pure way. I think there's a bigger
2: story here, Scott, that this commitment to integrity or just a commitment to this is how we're going to do it so we don't have to answer all those other questions. And you mentioned it's very, very difficult, and it has been. Yet, how would you say it has affected the growth of your organization knowing that you had that particular commitment? Do you think it has allowed you to grow quicker?
3: I think so. Um, we, you know, we've we now have some data. Science magazine uh, just published a, a study um, about four or five months ago, where they they actually used Charity Water in a in a study about four thousand five hundred people, and they gave them a chance to donate with no overhead, or donate uh, to another charity that would actually match their gifts, but just didn't talk about the percentage of money that would go either good or bad. Eighty eight percent chose the no match. Um, charity Water 100% model. Um, 88% of those 4,500 people. So we, we have found it um, to be resonant and, and unique for the problem we were trying to solve. Um, there's lots of people who don't distrust charity, who have no problem um, you know, even with unknown overheads. But, but the group that we were trying to reach, we thought that would be a really powerful and, and resonant message. Um, and it's been difficult. You know, About a year and a half into it, we were at this crossroads. We'd raised a couple million dollars for the water projects. You know, the 100% model was working, but I wasn't able to grow the funding on the other side fast enough. And I think we had nine employees at the time, and uh, we were about to miss payroll. And we had $882,000 in the bank on the way out for water projects. And I remember getting advice at the time to go and borrow from the 880000 to make payroll. You know, Charity Water is too good of an idea to, to go bankrupt you know, only a year and a half in, and um, clearly it seemed to be working, and, and money is fungible, and all the kind of excuses that you can imagine. And I remember being so uh, almost offended by that idea, um, because our, our very integrity was at stake, our promise that we'd made. And I was actually going to shut the organization down, send that money out to the field, and, um, and I guess do a reboot you know, with, with the typical business model. And at that moment, I remember praying uh, fervently, but with very little faith and really kind of thinking about, you know, shutting this org down. Um, At that moment, I met a complete stranger, uh, an entrepreneur um, who was in the social networking space. And I spent two hours with him, thought he didn't even like me (laughs) throughout the meeting. And he left the meeting and wired a million dollars into the overhead account, which gave us over a year's worth of funding. And with that year, really, all I needed uh, was time. Uh, with that year, we were able to find um, over a hundred other people who would also get excited about powering the people and coming alongside um, the, the actual staff and those necessary organizational costs.
2: You know this. So it hasn't guy. always been easy.
3: Yeah, well, no, it has not. It has not. But I love the commitment. And you stayed
2: with it, and it has been really, obviously becomes um, something you hang your hat on, and and, and what you guys are doing is so unique, as well as efficient around the world. I want to get to some of that, but, uh, you know, Scott, we have such a heart for the entrepreneur here, and that doesn't always mean for-profit, and you certainly represent the not-for-profit model so well. But I do want to go back, before we even get into the details of your story of starting This idea of taking passion and somehow molding it into a purpose, that really is what sets the entrepreneur apart. Um, What do you think is the key to taking that passion and molding it into that purpose that begins to live itself out?
3: Well, you know, I I guess a little bit of that is perhaps in my story. You know, I had, uh, I think I was always a passionate Person you know i'd grown up uh, as an only child, taking care of a mom who was an invalid uh, after a, a terrible accident happened in our family when I was four um, and then for for ten years from the age of eighteen to twenty eight you know I lived a very decadent, passionate life as a nightclub promoter, and I was telling a story that if you got past the velvet rope, if you you know made it into the club where jay Z was at table one and Puffy was at table three you know, then, then your life had meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were sitting at a table with $500 bottles of champagne and pretty girls, um, you had arrived. And you know, that story that I was telling and, and also living took me to a very, very, very dark place after a decade. Um, uh, you know, a snapshot of my life at 28. I had a cocaine problem. I smoked two packs a day. I had a drinking problem. I had a gambling problem. I had a pornography problem. I had a strip club problem. Uh, pretty much every vice short of heroin that you can imagine, uh, I'd picked up. Um, and while life looked glamorous and uh, on the outside, it was it was really dark. And um, fortunately for me, um, I was uh, I was able to kind of realize the the absolute disaster and mess I'd made in my life and that my legacy, if I continued down this path, was just going to be getting millions and millions of people wasted mm. um, over the course of a lifetime. And then after uh, this revelation, uh, I just sold all my possessions and decided to try to um, find the 180 of my life and, and try and find my way back to God and to faith and um, and serving others. And I was lucky enough to get this opportunity to live in war-torn Liberia, West Africa, right after Charles Taylor's 14-year civil war had ended, and, and volunteer on an inspiring humanitarian mission. And during the two years that I spent on that mission, I, I saw kind of the opposite of my life. I saw people living without access to clean water. I saw kids drinking from swamps and ponds and rivers, you know, from water I wouldn't let my dog drink, uh, and dying of diarrhea. And, you know, I was able to kind of take uh, the passion, I think, for storytelling and for, for rallying people um, to, to get together uh, and really focus that on, on helping at the time the billion people without access to their most basic need uh, for living and for health uh, in clean water.
2: This is why I like talking to people like you, because as we begin to listen into this story, there is an, an overwhelming feeling that comes over us when we try to tackle these big passionate ideas that pop up in our life and so here you are this young guy restarting your life if you will you see unbelievable heartbreak and disaster and this water thing pops up in front of you You go wow there's a story to be told here yet it had to be overwhelming and so i want to zero in on this idea for the people that are listening in right now and they they have a great passion but it's overwhelming. As you look back on when you first got started, what were those first couple steps that just allowed you to keep moving forward until Charity Water began to develop and become the great organization it is?
3: Well, if I paint a picture of day one, um, I returned from my two years of humanitarian service completely broke uh, to about $30,000 in club debt, uh, and I'm, I have no place to live. Uh, nightclub promoters are great at making money, terrible at saving it. Mm-hmm. And I'd really... Uh, the, the beauty of uh, Mercy Ships is you actually have to pay them $500 a month to volunteer. So I truly had found the opposite of my life. And, you know, I'm, I'm living on a friend's couch, basically. Uh, at one point, I was sleeping on the closet floor. And uh, I'm running around showing pictures on my laptop, giving maybe 10 presentations a day, saying, this is what I saw. Uh, This isn't right. I mean, I was selling $10 bottles of Pellegrino in clubs, and people are dying because they were just simply born in, in situations where they don't have clean water. And, you know... A lot of people would laugh at me. A lot of people uh, were moved. Um, I remember giving a presentation for a nightclub promoter once and just tears started streaming down his face. And he said, how can I help? How can I get involved? Um, and would send me to the next couple of people that I could go and give this presentation to. So it was really just telling the story and you know then there was the the first intern and the second intern uh none of us had a salary you know we were we were really existing on the kindness of strangers to um you know even eat <laughs> yeah and and then you know someone said well we'll help pay for the first employee's salary and someone said well we could help pay for the second one and you know we were out there doing events and and trying to uh sell a $20 bottle of water at the time, uh, to help people get access to clean water and all these kind of crazy ideas, outdoor exhibitions, um, PSAs that, that we were able to get, you know, uh, Oscar nominated directors and entire crews to donate all of their time, um, Oscar winning actors to be a part of, um, on budgets of, of a couple thousand dollars, even getting stuff like the catering donated. So it was this, this really scrappy existence of not having enough money, but this ambitious goal of, trying to imagine a world where every single person, regardless of where they're born, drinks clean water, has their most basic uh, health need met, and, and realizing that the Delta was a billion people mm. and would require mass resources and, and mass, uh, mass awareness that just wasn't there. So nine years in, Scott, give us a
2: snapshot of what Charity Water Operations wells on the ground around the world. What does it look like? What's happening right now?
3: Yeah, so we, um, we now have about 17,000 water projects um, from the first few that were funded. 17,000 water projects in 24 different countries um, serving about 5.5 million people uh, when they're all completed. We raised almost $200 million from a million very, very generous supporters all around the world. Um, and, and really, you know, how we keep score um, is really the people that we're able to help. You know, last year was our our first million-person year mm. in a single year, which works out to um, about uh, 2,700 people every single day of the year. And I was, I was trying to talk to my staff and, and you know, encourage them uh, at the end of last year, and I said, you know, you guys went to bed, you slept for eight hours, and just when you woke up, 900 people got clean water while we were all sleeping, you know, because you've given your talent and your passion, you know, to this cause in the service of, of others. So, you know, that's what we're really focused on is is seeing a day where everyone drinks clean water. And, you know, what's what's been great about this issue is seeing it cut across... Um, cultural lines uh, across political lines across religious lines and people that may disagree with each other on just about every other issue can all kind of come together and say people need clean water Uh, and and the reality is that so many people don't Mm. it's been a it's been a great way to really unify people
2: when we hear this story just like so many other needs around the world we certainly connect Yet we live in a day and age, you know this, Scott, as well as anybody, 24-7 news, social media, so something tragic happens, and within two days, it's virtually gone from the news cycle. It's no longer a billboard in front of us. Really curious to know how your organization uh, continues to keep this message alive, keep it engaging new people, because it is vitally important. In fact, if you look at the global issues out there, this is probably top one, two, or three because of its mass you know uh, it's just a mass not appeal but it just touches everybody which is clean water it affects everything how do you keep it relevant and keep an audience engaged plus go get new people to join this movement
3: i think and it's really just building a culture of innovation i mean we we try to constantly um, push ourselves farther uh, through storytelling, through our, our actual programmatic work on the ground. Mm. Um, a couple examples, you know, we've launched a September campaign for the last um, bunch of years, and you know, we do this thing where we ask people to donate their birthday. And Charity Water started actually at my, my birthday party. It was my 31st birthday, and the only thing I knew how to do to get people together was to throw a party in a nightclub. And uh, I gave my friends open bar and uh, they all threw in 20 bucks at the door. And we took every single penny, the 15,000 raised, uh, to do our first few projects in northern Uganda. And then we proved all of them with photos and GPS and a video so people could see where their money went and the people helped. Uh, A year later, we launched our first September campaign, and every year we've tried to, uh, we used to live drill from a different country. Um, The first year, it was hospitals in Kenya without access to clean water. Uh, The next year, it was a campaign to bring 333 villages in Ethiopia clean water. Uh, We moved to the the jungles of the Central African Republic, where the Bayaka pygmies have struggled as the forests have been cut down um, by these uh, these huge uh, timber companies. And we did a campaign to give 100% of the Biaka clean water. Um, next year, we focused on a country where we, we had more ambition and more funding, but we didn't have enough drilling rigs. And we started to crowdsource drilling rigs uh, and actually mounted GPS units to our drilling rigs and gave them Twitter accounts. So all of the tens, more than 10,000 people that funded the rigs could track them in real time as they went around. So we've constantly tried to just keep it new and exciting. Um, This year, uh, we're actually focusing the September campaign, which we launched yesterday, um, on our fundraisers. And we have this army of people now who are giving up birthdays. I mean, we had a 78-year-old give up his 78th birthday, ask everyone he knew for $78, and uh, danced 78 times uh, <laughs> on his 78th birthday. He did the waltz uh, if he hit his goal. We've had 89-year-olds. We've had birth campaigns. We've had 7-year-olds uh, raise 22 grand. Uh, we have a 6-year-old in Vancouver that just ran 12 lemonade stands, one of them in the pouring rain. She was undeterred by rain. And at her 12th lemonade stand, six-year-old Maddie gets a local band to perform on the sidewalk Mm -hmm. to attract lemonade buyers. And she sells $5,300 of lemonade for Charity Water. So this year is a celebration of that community uh, of over 50,000 people who have come together, who have started campaigns, who brought the best of themselves, their birthdays, their craft, their uh, passion for doing wheelies or mountain climbing or swimming or marathons. Um, we've had scrapbookers in Paris. We have a guy in the Armed Services in Afghanistan that's written haikus for charity water. Um, really, just a celebration of the community. So I think it, it's it's really led internally and culturally mm-hmm. um, at, at all levels of the department. So not just in the storytelling and the the marketing or the fundraising, but uh, you know, with seventeen thousand water projects out there, a couple of years ago we said. Look, we know that they're all built. We have made photos and GPS transparent to the public on Google Earth and Google Maps. But we want to know now that they're working and they're continuing to serve people over time. Uh And we went to Google and said, hey, we have this crazy idea. What if we could build a remote sensor and we could drop it in these remote villages and we'd know back in New York how much water is actually flowing? And Google awarded us a $5 million grant, which was the largest check they'd ever cut to a charity, um, to go and work on this. And for the last three years, we worked with 22 different labs around the world trying to develop this this $100 remote sensor that could protect a $10,000 well and make sure that water is continuing to flow and serve communities. Um, and we just pressed play this week uh, on the production of our first 4,000 sensors, which will be installed over the next uh, nine months. So I think it's, it's just a core value of the organization is, is to remain excited about our work, for, uh, to look for new ways to tell the story, to look for new ways to use technology to make our programs better and to serve more people uh, as effectively as we can.
2: All right, folks, this is brilliant. If you remember our Donald Miller interview, which you know, Scott and I are both friends with Don. If you remember he talked about the story brand and your brand is the guide, the trusted guide, your customer's the hero. Well, this is what Scott and Charity Water are doing here. They're making all these people who are doing Great work by giving their birthdays for clean water. Well, they're the hero. This is straight off their website. Scott, I just want to underscore what you said because this is really extraordinary Um, when we talk about this September campaign. uh, There are 19 million birthdays celebrated around the world every day. The average amount raised by a person's birthday campaign, this is for Charity Water, is $770. Now, yeah, it's, a, it's
3: extraordinary. It's, it is. It's actually, it's actually closer to thousand dollars. Oh, it is. Um, so imagine that. You know, nineteen million birthdays would be nineteen billion dollars right. every single day. Yeah. The exciting thing about the birthday um, is that it's this mini word-of-mouth movement. So, you know, when you, Ken Coleman, give up your birthday, and I know you have, you bring in, if you were just average, you'd bring in an average of 15 people Mm -hmm. um, who would then learn about the organization. uh, People that we can't reach, we, we don't have a relationship with. And it's kind of a beautiful message. You know, we don't need more stuff. You don't need a gift card from Amazon. You don't need a tie or a wallet or a pair of socks. You know, people don't even have, 600 million people don't even have access to clean water. So if we can give up our birthdays so people can actually have more birthdays and live healthier and happier lives, it's, it's definitely an idea we, we've been trying to spread. And I know a lot of your guests, uh, Seth Godin gave up his 50th birthday, mm-hmm. uh, raised uh, $50,000 on his 55th. He asked everyone in his blog whether they would help spread this idea. So it's an idea for everyone, whether you're, you know, a five-year-old kid or, or, or an 89-year-old that would love... Uh, for other people to be able to reach the age of, of 89 years old.
2: Yeah, it, it really is extraordinary. Scott, on that 770 or or $1,000 average, yep. how many people are being helped immediately with that money?
3: Yeah, so it's about $30 to give one person access to clean water. So, you know, an average birthday campaign could help 30, 33 people, wow. uh, which, is, which is really extraordinary uh, as an impact. And, you know, I'll just tell you one recent story. Um, I, I was last year... Uh, I lived in this village in Ethiopia without water because I think it's so hard for people to understand you know, what that would even look like. And I've been to Ethiopia 25 times now since since starting the org. It's a country I love deeply. I love the people there. And I was, I'd heard about this story that I just didn't even believe of, uh, of a woman who was walking eight hours for water with a clay pot on her back, heavy water, 50 pounds of water full. And one day she slips and falls and drops her water And instead of going back and getting more water, after she watches the water spill out into the dust and and the sand, um, in despair, she hangs herself from a tree in the middle of this village. And I I, I just needed to reconnect with our work, and it it needed to become real to me again. And I I went and lived in that girl's village last year um, for a week, and I found out that she was 13 years old a wow. 13-year-old named Letakiros Hailu. And she had hopes and dreams and a family. And I met her friend that walked with her that day. And I asked her friend, I said, why didn't she go back and get more water? You know, why, why would she take her own life? And her friend was telling me that she was a different girl. She had this, this dream of, of a better life for her village, a better life for her family, and that she would have been overcome with shame, the shame in letting her mom down. Her mom was waiting on that water to cook dinner for the family. And because of her carelessness, she had let the family down. And that would have been too much for her to face them. And it's stories like that, that, you know, it's worth it for one person. If you could do a birthday and give one person clean water, you know, giving or raising $30, it it really keeps us going. Um, And left such a deep imprint on on me and and my life and, and the work here. Well, folks, just
2: know that Scott Harrison is a friend of Dave Ramsey and our entire organization, and it takes less than 30 seconds to actually get a birthday campaign set up and going. Just go to charitywater.org, charitywater.org, literally do all of the work for you. And this really is a wonderful, wonderful way to exercise giving back to those who need something from us. And we have so much. We're so blessed. Scott, before I let you go, uh, you really are a tremendous leader. You really are an entree leader. You really get it. And I want you, if you would, to speak from your head or your heart or from both. And would you encourage the men and women entrepreneurs that are listening into this podcast uh, from something, you know, that you just feel like, hey, I want you to know this as you are doing work that matters. What would you say to them?
3: Oh man, I, I guess I would just say embrace the uh, <laughs> the challenge. I mean, it's uh, you know I was telling my wife the other day uh, that it, it really feels like for the last nine years we have been pushing this boulder up a hill. I think people from the outside look at Charity Water and say, "Oh, they've grown ninety percent a year for five years," or you know, it seems like they're so uh, you know they're just getting it all right. It is so hard. It is so 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 hard, and you know, finding ways to kind of, uh, take care of yourself, you know, finding time to rest, um, and recharge the batteries or even, uh, you swap out the batteries entirely. Um, I mean, it is a, it is a tough road, you know, especially as a social entrepreneur, and, and nothing has been easy. Not losing sight of that vision that, you know, in our case, we're really doing it for others. You know, I'm not doing this to get rich. I live in a one-bedroom apartment, and my one-year-old son is, is in a closet at the moment. <laughs> you know? right. But we've helped 5.5 million people get access to clean water, and, and you know, it's fighting for 13-year-old girls named Leta Kiros. Um, simply because of where they're born, you know, who who are living lives of despair. And and I know that we can help. So I think keep sight of the vision and then just, you know, embrace yourself that it's it's not easy. (laughs) It is a challenge uh, moving people towards generosity and empathy and compassion. Um, And if you don't lose sight of the vision and who you're actually doing it for, um, you know, you can keep getting up and, and taking the hits every day. Well,
2: Scott, from the day I first met you, you've inspired me. I know our audience is inspired. We appreciate what you're doing. And, again, folks, uh, we'd love for you to just check it out. Is this something that you could do, maybe as a family or maybe as a business team? Whatever. Just check it out, charitywater.org. And, Scott, again, we're better for hearing from you today. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Ken, thanks so much, man. It's always great to see you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Scott Harrison. One big takeaway... In listening to Scott, and I know his story so well, but a fresh takeaway was the simple idea that he did something very, very unique from the get-go, and that was the idea that he was going to find a way to pay for the cost of the organization in other ways. That 100% of the donations would go to the mission and purpose. That is a difficult thing to do, and it is not required. If you're a nonprofit, that's not required, but it was a unique bold stake in the ground about how they were going to be unique and different. And I think that has led to their explosive growth. And I think it makes them an attractive organization. That's what stood out to me. How can you be unique? A lot of noise out there in the world and in the space that you're in. Let's face it, you're always competing for eyeballs, ears, heartstrings, and on and on the list goes. So how can you be unique? That's the huge takeaway from Scott Harrison. Well, folks, uh, September at Entree Leadership has been about sales, EntreeLeadership.com and all the resources of the communities that we have with all access, the amazing club that folks are a part of, that growing club of community of leaders that are winning and learning on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, as well as everything we do at EntreeLeadership.com focused around how do you sell better? And so we've given you a tool on each podcast. I want to remind you, last chance to get it. This is our super sales cheat sheet. It's absolutely free, no strings attached. It's a PDF that is just chock full of goodness. It'll help you close better. There's actual samples, all kinds of goodness there. All you got to do is text the word SUPER SALES, that's one word, SUPER SALES to 33444. Text SUPER SALES to 33444. And of course, for those of you listeners that are out there around the world or just simply cannot text, If you just go to leadershipcom slash podcast, go to this Scott Harrison episode, and the link for the Super Sales Cheat Sheet is there for you. Also on the bulletin board, we want to make sure you know about Summit 2016. This is our second event. First time we did it was this last spring in La Costa, California. It was an unbelievable lineup, and we've done it again. Daniel Tardy, John Falcons, the entire Entree Leadership team working hard to bring you an event like no other. All the details are at entreeleadershipcom slash summit. I'll just tell you, here's the speaker lineup. Dave Ramsey on stage, and then he is joined by none other than Jim Collins, Seth Godin, Dr. Henry Cloud, and more. Pat Lencioni joining us again. And then, of course, we have that secret speaker. It's fun. Some of you are actually paying attention to what I'm saying, and, and you're going on Twitter and going, Ken, you were right. That is a big name. Well, by contract, I can't tell you who the big name speaker is. But you can go to entreeleadership.com slash summit and see who it is. And by the way, you can tell the whole world. I just can't over the airwaves. Contracts. Oh, well. Hey, it's going to be a great time. Eric, the producer, and I will be there. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful experience. Dallas, Texas, May 22 through 25. So there it is. That's the bulletin board for this episode. But important stuff. So make sure you take advantage. Speaking of the Entree Leadership Summit, on the phone this week with Infusionsoft and their top team as we're planning all kinds of fun stuff, they're going to be at the event. In fact, Chad on their team is going to be speaking. It's going to be really fun. Talk about practical stuff that you can take away and win right away. That's going to be happening. So we're loving the content. Infusionsoft is just like us in that they want to help small business men and women and companies win. And they want to give away the goods because they know how it works. So here it is, another episode of One Question with Jeff Mask from Infusionsoft. I've long thought that the entrepreneur's mind is kind of like that ticker that runs across the uh, 24-hour news network. It's just since 9-11, that ticker's been there. Right. And it's just there, and it's constantly moving. And, and if there's one word that dominates the ticker of the entrepreneur's mind, it's marketing, 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 marketing. It just doesn't stop. Truly you at infusionSoft I love this first time I heard you and Clay say this it really jumped out at me You guys say that the most neglected marketing principle of all marketing principles is follow-up support that
1: statement truth hashtag it is so true so true Here, here's what we mean by that we have seen over and over and over if you don't have a follow-up system in place, you are literally leaving Thousands and thousands on the table. You know it. That's what keeps you up at night, knowing that person said they wanted more information. I just didn't follow up. That customer said they wanted to purchase an additional upsell product. I didn't follow up. Why? Because we have 14 other hats on. It's just too hard to do that when we know that. And so figuring out the follow-up system is the secret to small business success. And it's so simple. It seems like we're looking for that silver bullet that is this new, brand new, amazing. It's not. It's a simple principle of getting a follow-up system in place because here's why. People buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell. And so if you don't have a follow-up system in place, how do you know when that time is? You just go and sell when it's time for you because you need to make the payroll. You need to keep the lights on. You need to feed your family, whatever that is. And you just kind of cross your fingers, hoping that whoever you're talking to is ready. Get a follow-up system in place. Then you can sell and market in a way that attracts them to you because you're serving and giving them value so that when they're ready, you're in the right place at the right time. But you can't do that if you don't have a follow-up system in place. All right, folks, we're planning exciting new
2: stuff. A lot of free resources that will help you practically, and they're absolutely free. They're coming to you soon from Infusionsoft. We're scheming. Eric, the producer, and I are always scheming with the folks at Infusionsoft, and we're really, really excited. That's all I can say because Eric will turn my mic off if I say any more. But that's coming. We'll tell you more about that soon. But right now, you can go get absolutely free the Infusionsoft Business Playbook. These are case studies real techniques and strategies that have been used in conjunction with Infusionsoft by their actual clients, which includes Entree Leadership. So we want you to get that. Go to infusionsoft.com slash Entree. Thousands and thousands have downloaded this. We just got the report from Infusionsoft the other day. So go get the small business playbook, infusionsoft.com slash Entree. All right, so we have brought to you before some of Dave's answers to questions from businessmen and women from our business-themed hours. We do this multiple different ways, sometimes just a regular show once a month. We'll have an Entree Leadership-themed hour. And then, of course, when we have our Entree Master Series, the Entree Leadership Summit. Uh, Dave will actually broadcast live in the conference room where we're hosting that event so what you're about to hear is a phone call and then a call from the room and these again are business questions and we think it's so important to you specifically one question on how do you train your customer so that you're running the business not them and then building a culture so your team has ownership this is what Dave covers with these questions so enjoy actual calls on business questions to the Dave Ramsey Show
0: Live from the Financial Peace Conference Center, it's an entree leadership theme hour. Those folks clapping in the background, you can tell there's about 200 folks with us here that have been with us all week as we have been teaching about business, about entrepreneurship, about leadership, and we have had a blast together. Thank you for joining us this hour as we talk about one of my favorite topics, which is business and how powerful a force it is in America today, how it gives you any of you that are listening, a shot. You can do whatever you want to do in this country. You can just decide today I'm in business. How amazing is that? And you can just decide, there I am, I'm in business, that's me, that's us. And, and it's an amazing thing. So this is the best economy in the history of the world for you to have a chance to get ahead. You've got so many tools at your fingertips that allow you to win out there to get to people that you didn't even, couldn't even think about. Five years ago, ten years ago, or twenty years ago, but this is just a wonderful time in, in human history to serve other people and to be paid for doing so. And there is nothing immoral, nothing wrong about that. And we're glad to have spent people spent time this week with people who uh, care about other people, care about their teams, are here to learn how to lead better, how to how to run a business better, top to bottom. Ed is with us in Oklahoma City. Hi, Ed. Welcome to the Dave Ramsey Show. Dave. Hey, how are you? What's up? Better than I deserve, man. How can I help?
4: I'm a, I'm a carpenter by trade. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it for about 18 years. And a couple of months ago, I took a nosedive and just quit my job at an Air Force base out here. And uh, what I did is what you suggested to do, and I went to real estate offices. I took them donuts, breakfast, you know, and actually got my way into speak to the entire real estate offices at the, you know, when they're all doing their meetings. Wow. And uh, the problem that I'm having is, is that I'm on a one man show and I'm trying to wear a bunch of different hats to do this business. And this thing has, like I said, I've only been in it doing it for a couple of months and this thing has blown up in my face <laughs> so much that I, I don't really know what to do. I mean, it's so overwhelming. And the real estate people are, most of them are not very cordial to your time as far as like when they call you to get the repairs done you you mean residential I, real estate people are drama queens you're kidding no, no well i no. don't think like drama queens but you know <laughs> they call and say i need it done in 2 days and i'm already on two or three other jobs at the same time and i don't know what to do as far as uh finding the help if i need to do that or if i just need to tell them i can't get to it yeah
0: well, I think what you 've got to do is two things one is you 've got three things: one is you need to train your customers and you 're just getting started, and you were just happy to have a customer and that 's a good right. thing and that 's a good thing now you 've got a bunch of customers and they 're starting to run your business instead of you running it and and so you 've got to reset your expectations with them and just uh, you know and it sounds like this: listen, I really want your business that 's why I came over there and worked so hard for it, but I stay pretty backed up, so you 've got to be willing to give me a little bit of notice. Now, I can get you in next Friday, but I can't get there tomorrow. I've just got I've got other stuff. I've got other people I promised, and I can't break my promise to them. And if you need to use someone else, then use someone else. But if, you know, they get in their head then that they need to give you a little bit of notice, then they won't live from emergency to emergency. And, uh, you know, and, and you can plan out a little bit better. Now, you can't be the guy that delays the closing because you can't get over there. So you can't push them out six weeks, right? So the, well, no, that's, but that's been
4: my problem, is it's not on me. It's that they're calling and they're saying closing is Friday. I know, and, and,
0: and it, is, it, is on, it is on you because you didn't train them to call you sooner. Well, okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. you gotta, you got to be able to, number one, you've got to say your, your lack of planning does not constitute an emergency on my part. Now, you're not going to say it exactly that way, but you're going to connect with them and, and start to train them and you're going to lose a few of the jobs here or there. You probably won't lose a customer if you handle the conversation correctly. And that's the best route to go. Now, uh, that that's thing one. Thing two is raise your prices. That'll solve some problem, too. Uh, okay. you, you'll, loo- you'll lose some customers that way. And that's a really good way to lose them. And then thing three is you start to train some people and bring some people on and staff up. But you've done a great job of marketing. You know how to deliver the service. And you've created more demand with your hand-to-hand combat marketing than you have the ability to perform. And so uh, those three things, retraining them on their expectations as to your timeline, number one. Number two, you're going to lose a few of them based on price. And then number three, you're going to start staffing up. And then staffing up is going to be the biggest challenge of those three things because you've got to find people that you can count on that don't turn around then and go, destroy your business by misbehaving with a customer of yours that works for you so it can be done but uh it, it, it is a process all right joe levitt with us to uh connect us up with our uh, entree leadership members here in the audience so who, joe who have we got next
4: dave we have uh daphne from austin Hey, hey Dave. It's great to be here this week. Thank you. I have a, it's been
3: so wonderful to see all of the things that you and your team have put together. I think the most impressive thing for me was to watch your team and the ownership that they
4: take and the work and the pride that
3: they do. Thank you.
4: How can we create that same culture as we grow our businesses to hopefully 300 one day?
3: How can we get our team to take that same pride and ownership?
0: Well, I appreciate that question, of course. It, it is a hiring process. It is partly compensation, meaning you're hiring thoroughbreds. You're compensating them well. Uh, and it's also just the way you treat people, a sense of dignity, that um, you, you treat them like you expect them to act like a partner in the business, uh, to, be, to have emotional ownership and care deeply about the outcome. It's actually um, it's an unstated requirement to work here. Uh, the way we state it, we state it a little differently. We just say, we don't want anybody working here that has a J-O-B. They're just here to collect money and see how fast they can go home. And uh, I want to come late, leave early, and steal while I'm there. That's what an employee does. We don't want employees. We want team members. And, and honestly, if people get where they hate their job here or they get where they're unplugged, they, they stand out like a sore thumb then because everybody around them is plugged in and does care about the outcome and does treat it with a sense of ownership. So when someone doesn't, then the rest of the team starts to feel uncomfortable around them. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a hard place to work if you don't care. And and that's a cultural thing. And, and so it becomes a kind of a positive peer pressure, if you will, mentality. And how did we form that? Well, I mean, we, we work at it. We work at it a lot. And occasionally we find someone who has... Uh, started out maybe with that crusade mentality but then they um drifted away and and, you know they they kind of their heart disconnected and they they really quit but they just didn't take their body with them and uh so we just help them take their body then and we just send them on off to do something else god's got something else for them to do then And, and so in other words we fire people if they unplug and we're not mean about it but we want you to go find something you're enthused about God's got a plan for your life, and you ought, to be, you ought to be jacked up about it. You ought to be excited about it, and, uh, and, and that's what we want you to be for you if you work here, and so it's this constant weeding out, this constant pruning, uh, this constant looking for the right people, compensating them right, communicating clearly with them, building this entire culture with great intentionality, so hey, good to have you here. Well, we
2: hope you enjoyed that. We're going to continue to bring you those questions. And by the way, this is a great opportunity to say, look, if you have a question for our Entree Leadership team, we want to answer those, not just are we looking for feedback on the podcast itself, which we want. So if you've got questions, remember, Ask the Coach with John Falcons. It's designed specifically for your questions. Then if you have suggestions, questions about the show that we're bringing to you, we want to hear from you as well. It's for you, so we want to hear from you. Here's how you do it. Email podcast at entree leadership.com. Email us podcast at entreeleadership.com. Always reach to us, excuse me, reach out to us rather on Twitter at entree leadership at Ken Coleman. I do reply, I do read them, and of course our entree leadership Twitter staff does as well. So there you go, you can reach out to us and we do want to hear from you. Well sadly that's gonna do it for this edition of the entree leadership podcast, but remember we're coming to you weekly. So subscribe and spread the word. On behalf of our producer, Eric Anthony, and the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you for listening. We'll talk with you again very soon.